You're listening to the Yoga Inspiration Podcast with me, your host, Kino McGregor. I created this series to keep you inspired to get on the mat every day so that you can practice yoga and change your world, starting from the inside out, one breath at a time. Thanks so much for listening. Your support means everything to me. Hi, everyone. It's Kino here. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Yoga Inspiration Podcast. Your support really means a lot to me. For everyone who's listening, if you wanted to tune in to practice with me and our team of amazing teachers on Ohm Stars, my online channel, you can get your first month free by using the code PODCAST, all capital letters. So come on over and check it out. This episode is an interview with Davina Davidson. She is the founder of the Melanin Yoga Project, a nonprofit created to connect, educate, and inspire people of color on the benefits of yoga. Davina is also an EYRT 500 Houston-based community leader and teacher trainer, Lululemon Yoga Ambassador. In our podcast conversation, we discussed numerous topics related to social justice and dove into the idea that there's not only one Black experience. There are many steps that we discussed that Davina has taken with Houston Yoga Studio owners on how to dismantle racism within the business standards of the yoga world and in the practices of Houston-based yoga studios. This conversation is relevant for every yoga teacher, yoga student, and yoga studio owner in the whole world. Hi, Davina. Thanks so much for joining for the Yoga Inspiration Podcast. I'm super excited to have you here. I'm super excited to be here. Um, <laughs> we're in an interesting time. Yes, we are. Yeah. So I very much appreciate you coming on and offering your perspective on many of the issues I think that are on everyone's minds right now. And speaking as, uh, as I've mentioned before in my blogs and also in a podcast as what I've learned after, I don't know, it took me like 35 years to realize that my background would be a white passing multiracial person. One of the things I think many non-Black people right now in their mind are how do, how is the way that non-Black people should refer to Black people? Is it by saying Black community, the African-American community? What is the, you know, most supportive terminology that a non-Black person can use to really, you know, dive into conversations and dialogues and, and speak in a, in a, in a non-offensive and supportive way? Yeah. And I think given that I work in the yoga industry, I think that um, as, as a person of color, there are lots of ways that you can address, um, mm -hmm. address a person and, and specifically when you're speaking with their, uh, about their community. And I think saying African-American community or the black community is actually acceptable, either one, given, um, the context of the relationship that you have with the person that you're speaking to. Um, what I think is interesting is when we dive into conversations with deep conversations with people that we actually don't have a connection with or that we don't really, uh, or we have not taken the time to learn. So I think a lot of what time what happens with um, people who, um, who are not people of color, who are trying to have conversations is like, it is, what, what do I say? What, what's the terminology? Because they haven't spent the time with enough people of color. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to know what's appropriate to, or to 
um, to say the wrong thing mm-hmm. and then be corrected, right? Mm-hmm. Because I, I'm a big proponent and fan of teaching people um, how you want to be treated. Mm-hmm. And so it might vary from person to person. And it's a matter of being open to saying, oh, okay, that maybe that was offensive or you found that offensive. And, and what is the way that you'd like me to address you? You know? Absolutely. I really, I really, really like that. And I think it's so much in line with what yoga is, which is being willing to try, make a mistake, get corrected and not take it personally and not have a whole meltdown around it and not be defensive and just say, I'm sorry, let me try again. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what we learn. That's what we learn in the practice. Mm-hmm. And I also think it's good right now that there are many non-Black people who are thinking about, is it okay that I say the Black community, a Black yoga teacher, an African-American yoga teacher? I think even that questioning right now is really, really useful because to plant that in, you know, in what has been a really homogeneous wellness and yoga space, particularly in the United States, I think it's a good turn of events that those questions are being asked Mm -hmm. right now. what 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 is one of the most important questions that you feel that you know, predominantly white and yoga spaces and teachers, students and studio owners, what, what are some things that they can be asking and reflecting on to mm-hmm. further the work of equality, which is the work of anti-racism? Yeah, I think so important as a studio owner to check in with your, your Black students or the people of color that practice with you. If you haven't seen them in the virtual classes and you haven't, you know, haven't had the connections if your studio is back open is just asking, reaching out. How are you, my friend? Like how are like how are you feeling right now? What is your practice like right now? Are you getting on your mat? Because if you're if you're a yogi and you care, um, mm-hmm. you come from that approach. So it's not like why are you randomly checking on me? No, it's like mm-hmm. I'm your yoga teacher and I'm concerned and I want to share my concern to see how how is your practice right now? What sensations do you feel in your body? And beyond um, asking what you feel, if there is this space where where a studio owner is open to receiving feedback, it is, what is your experience when you come to my studio or when you come into this space? What's your experience as a person of color? What is it like? Because that's where you're going to get the feedback. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And sometimes, unfortunately or fortunately, um, people don't openly share feedback right? You have to ask the question in order for them to feel safe enough to give you that feedback. And Mm -hmm. so uh, in my opinion, and working and talking with Houston studio owners, I'm asking the questions, how many black faces are on your, black and brown faces are on your social media? How many of your staff members are black and brown people? How many of your teachers are black and brown people? Who is representative, who, who represents the trainers in your teacher training? I'm going to sidetrack, but come back. One of the, the questions that, that I get or I've experienced is younger white women who are afraid to assist um, mm-hmm. bigger black women or even just black people in general. Well, you ask them, what's your teacher training experience like? If there were no black people in their teacher training experience, when would they get the repetition and the practice of putting their hands on a black body? Like mm-hmm. when would they get the practice of feeling what that is like? So it makes sense that they would walk around nervous or afraid to put their hands on their black students. Um, and so on a studio owner's side, their responsibility is to create opportunities for that repetition. 
So even if you don't have Black teachers on your staff that are qualified to lead teacher trainings or lead workshops and things like that, then you bring those teachers into your community. You contract them in. Mm-hmm. So, so I see this scenario of a you know new 200-hour, newly minted 200-hour teacher trainee and you know graduate, and then they're in their first class, and then you know that person of color is in their class, and maybe it's a predominantly white class, and then they they are afraid, they don't assist. I could totally see that unfolding, and then if and then the second part of that is I could also see that same person really embracing you know the love and light language of yoga, being confronted about that, saying you know, hey, I noticed you didn't assist the Black student that was in your class. And then I could see the response being something like, oh, I don't see color. I treat everyone equally. Correct. So what's the, prob- what's the problem with the I don't see color? And, 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 and why is it important that we do see color and acknowledge that we are seeing color, even if we think we're not? Right. Oh, man, because in the yoga community, it's so common to be like, there's one race, the human race, right? It's so easy right. to go there. <laughs> um, but my logical brain is like, if you can't accept or if you can't acknowledge your whiteness, how can you even acknowledge and accept my blackness? It's a duality. Like you cannot. So there's work to be done around just acknowledging um, your privilege and bias by being a white person. And so um, Michelle um, Johnson in her book, Skill in Action, she does an exercise of like, what are the identities and the, the, labels that you have for yourself, list them out, mother, father, sister, single mom, educated, whatever it is. And then what are the privileges that you are afforded in each of those areas? By being a white woman, what privileges do you have? By being an educated white woman, what privileges do you have? And so um, clearly as white studio owners um, and studio leadership, you have to have one or the two Mm-hmm. Like you had to have the capital to be able to open the studio, right? Or yeah. access to it. Mm-hmm. And so whether it was your personal money, your daddy's personal money, <laughs> or your husband, your partner's money, exactly. Yeah. Then a grant that you got that you, that you were able to apply for because your name, you know, and your application fit the mold really, really clearly. You know, there's that, there's this uh, st- statistic where they take a, uh, college applications and they have an, it's, it's like a test. It's like a blind test that's done and they have equal scores and equal community service and equal grades. And the person with the black sounding names doesn't get in. The person with the white sounding name gets it. Listen, I went totally left on a white yogi who literally was like, that's not a real thing. Like, okay. Sir, your name is like, this is your name. And based off of your name, you have privilege alone. They don't even have to see that you are white. It's the name alone that mm-hmm. will get your foot in the door. And so that goes, goes back to acknowledging whiteness. So if mm-hmm. I don't acknowledge that, then I'm like, oh, no, that's not true. Racism, what? That's not real. Privilege, I don't, you're privileged. This, the same person called me privileged. And I was like, okay, maybe. <laughs> like <laughs> definition wise, yes, I, there are certain things that um, I am privileged because I have three degrees. Um, mm-hmm. and in a certain financial bracket and access to certain things because of uh, my educational experiences. But I'm like, <laughs> in the grand scheme of things, when, mm-hmm. we, when we take it away from our individual experiences, because that's the problem, right? When we, when we step away from our individual experiences, systematically, we have a problem, mm-hmm. right? So like, I don't, it's not that I don't care, and I'm good at saying that, so I'm going to bring that back. 
I acknowledge that all white people don't have the same experience, that they, there are some white people who grew up in trailer parks and some white people who were bullied and beat up because they were skateboard kids or whatever the case is. I acknowledge that. But when we take a step back and look at the way that the system that we live in has catered to white people versus black and brown people, there's a very large difference. Mm-hmm. So what are some resources for someone out there that just says, oh, none of this is true. Like this is if, uh, if, you know, if, if members of the black community just worked harder, they could get whatever they wanted. Like what are, what are some resources that can really, that people can, can, I mean, I think the movie 13th is a, oh my God, that one was like, just do that. Just do that. I can make it, make it through that. Yeah. Honestly. Beyond watching that, and I, I am I will say this, when I watched it the first time, I had to pause and walk away for a little bit mm-hmm. and then come back to it as a mother. Um, there was just of a of a black boy, there was a lot that I was like, ooh, this is very getting very intense. And so I had to, but I went, I came back to it. And I think for sure it's less about um suffering and like creating trauma for yourself, but it's again, if we don't acknowledge that these things exist then we'll keep pretending like, oh, everything is okay. I don't know what their problem is. Like, what's wrong with Black people? Why do they feel this way? Um, And outside of the movies and the books and those things, it's also um, that self-study. What do your circles look like? Mm -hmm. Who's in your intimate circle and what kind of conversations are you having with them? Regardless of whether there's a Black person present in your inner circle or not. Now, if there's not a Black person present in your inner circle, then maybe that's something to work towards so that you have a diverse experience, right? Within your intimate um, circle. Um, For sure. I'm just like, have these conversations, start having the conversations and be open to be called out. Mm -hmm. There is something about correction that white people do not like people in general, but in my experience where we are right now, the correction piece, it's so sensitive and I'm over people telling me to be kind. Mm -hmm. That what? comes up, I imagine, in the yoga community a lot. Like, oh, there's, you know, I, 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 I've had a few moments where it, it, occasionally on social media, I will post something that is taking a strong stance on something and whatever I had, I've gotten thrown the, oh, I feel there's so much anger. You should really go and sit with that until you're able to be nicer. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay. So it's just, and then, and then this is this word that's often being called tone policing. Mm-hmm. where there are, you know, members of the dominant group that essentially say, oh, I, you know, could you just like tone your message down a little bit and then I'll receive it. Mm-hmm. But it seems like there's, it's never going to be appropriate. You know, there's never going to be the perfect way to say, hey, you have this systemic bias and we need you to correct it. So if you say mm-hmm. it softly, then it just gets brushed aside. It's kind of like, okay, I'll look at that sometime in the future, like when it's good for me. But, it, it, but you know, saying it with urgency is like, a way that a way that a way that I thought about this before was, you know, say that you're two people and you're on a train and you're sitting next to someone, and then there's someone that this is somebody that just, they just take up a lot of space. You know, there are these people that like they just throw their stuff everywhere and they answer their phone, their elbows in your space, and you know, then they step on your foot. And maybe the first time you're like, "Sorry, sir, you stepped on my foot," but then the guy keeps doing it and he keeps doing it. It's not be a guy, it could be anyone, you know. But this this being, they keep doing it. They keep stepping on the foot, and by like the tenth, fifteenth, fiftieth, sixtieth time at the end of the trip, you're like, "Stop," you know. And yeah. by that point, it's valid. Mm-hmm. You know, the, like, nobody likes to 
like lose uh, composure. But when you push to a certain point, sometimes anger is an appropriate response. Well, what's what's really funny is that I teach yoga very much in the same way that I am off of the mat, which is direct and essential. I don't do the flowery flowery language and things like that. It's very direct and essential and not in a way that I'm being aggressive. It's not aggressive. Put your foot here. Do like mm-hmm. do this. Um, and then and then once you've tried those things, then you wiggle and you reshift in the way that you need to for your body. But hear me first. Mm-hmm. Just hear me out, right? And in terms of being um, called the angry black woman and all of that kind of stuff. What's really interesting is a lot of people don't know that I'm biracial. Like I posted a a people who literally live in Houston with me were like, whoa, (laughs) like I didn't even know that you were biracial. (laughs) And the truth is, is that I'm a strong black woman because I was raised by a strong white woman. Like that's Mm -hmm. just my truth. That's not the truth for everyone. That's Mm -hmm. my truth. And she taught me from a very young age to speak my truth. It wasn't, I didn't learn grace (laughs) until yoga. (laughs) <laughs> until teaching yoga. Then it was like, okay, gracefully speak your truth. Um, but my mom is, is just, she, we are very much the same in terms of being direct and straightforward or blunt. And people don't like that. We're so used to like making people feel accepted and comfortable and like in the yoga community specifically. And so then when you have this big black woman coming along <laughs> telling you what to do, um, people aren't always in a place to receive. And that's why I'm like, my, my thing with um, white yogis is to be okay with being corrected or being listening to um, suggestions around how to treat people of color. You don't mm-hmm. always have it right. You actually don't maybe never have it right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's mm-hmm. like, listen first and then maneuver in a way that, that you guys can coexist, but hear the person out first. Yeah. Absolutely. Do you feel that the resistance comes from the fear of admitting guilt? Do you think that it's something around, well, I didn't do that. Like I've never personally done anything or, you know, sometimes when the issue of, you know, systemic oppression and the repercussions of of slavery come up, I hear sometimes white people say, but I didn't do that. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not, it's not my fault specifically. So I feel like there's this guilt thing that is like, it's like, it's not exactly, it's like missing the message a little bit. And it's Mm -hmm. uh, going into, you know, centering the, the, the white person's experience again, it begins to be less about, actually there's this being that's suffering and I may have inadvertently without me knowing it contributed to it immediately flips it and says, Oh, well, you know, you're like, it flips it back to that white centered experience. Mm -hmm. So what can someone who's response is who has that in their mind oh, but I didn't do that it's not my fault the white person who hears that what 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 can dismantle that what can what can put a crack in that armor so that they can be more you know empathic and potentially you know be be, be truly open to listening for that correction so this goes back to a little bit of what um Michelle uh, Johnson says in her book around creating a shared language and understanding the debt like defining certain words And for me in the yoga industry, I literally just did this earlier with a friend is like doing the work to define the word kind and kindness, because everyone that I know in the white community is like, just if everyone was just kind, if we were just nice and polite, 
right? Like what, if we break that back down, like what does that really, um, what is kindness? What is, what does that really mean? And so me and my friend kind of went through the biblical perspective, which guilt comes up, the word guilt and having mercy comes up, right? Now, if we, if we fast forward that to Miriam, you know, the, the, the dictionary definition, mm-hmm. then it has, um, you know, being friendly, generous and considerate. And I was like, uh-uh, we're not doing the friendly thing because that's along with the nice and polite. And we know Brene Brown says nice and polite is not the way to go, right? Because we don't get down to the truth of it. And so what I did was took the, the biblical definition, the Miriam uh, Webster definition that was clearly created by a white person and like merged the two with an understanding that would work for me when dealing with someone who says, Davina, you're unkind. Well, kindness is awareness, consideration, and grace. So did I come from a place of awareness? Did I show consideration and have I provided grace? So mm-hmm. if I've done all of those things and I've checklisted those off in this communication that I'm having with a person, then I can truly say, I have been kind. Mm-hmm. I've been kind to you this whole time. Now, mm-hmm. when you flip it back on the other person, and oftentimes they don't have the awareness because they don't acknowledge their white privilege or their biases mm-hmm. or anything like that then they lack the awareness. So they can't show consideration. And what is grace (laughs) when, when you Mm -hmm. have not, when you cannot go through the the previous two. So Mm -hmm. I think creating a shit, like asking people, like asking the people in your circle to create a shared definition of what does it mean to in this yoga space? What does it mean to you to, to come into this yoga studio and feel safe? Don't just ask your white clients. Don't just ask the the regulars, but like survey, like what does it mean to be in a safe space? And then you do the work to figure out how do you create that? Mm-hmm. I can understand that this would be, That's where I'm at. If, yeah, I love <laughs> that. I can understand that this is a big, a, a big shift and a big effort. And I feel like this is, this is so necessary for particularly yoga practitioners because as yogis were asked to be better. You know, we're asked to be, be strong enough to dive in and to do this work of unpacking our unconscious biases. You know, we call this in Sanskrit, the samskaras. Mm-hmm. So now we're unpacking a systemic samskara, the unconscious type, which is the most insidious, the most harmful, the one that generates the most suffering and the one we resist the most. Mm-hmm. So it's like, we, we, it's difficult to navigate, but why are we practicing if not, you know, otherwise... Right. Otherwise, it's just fluffy words. You know, otherwise, the, 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 the yogic version sometimes of kindness comes up as ahimsa. You know, oh, try to be nonviolent. You know, mm-hmm. oh, you're being, this is such a violent expression. Try to embrace nonviolence. It's mm-hmm. like, well, you know, it's, it's not as simple as that. It's not, it's, not as, it's not as clear cut as that. And if you're in a position where you can look down, look, like look down your nose at someone and say, ooh, that was violent to not even recognize that actually you were in a, 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 a position of privilege and a position of power. Mm-hmm. I, I was speaking with a, with, a, with a white studio owner who uh, was expressing uh, frustration to me about, uh, you know, feeling um, like he couldn't do anything right, you know? Um, and then she said to me, but every time I, plo- every time I post a picture of, you know, a black student, then people write me and say that I'm getting it wrong. And then I get really afraid. And then I take down the post and then people write me messages saying, uh, you silence the voices now and you shouldn't take down the post. And I post a new post. And then one of my former black students contacts me and says, you got it all wrong. And so then I get afraid and I delete the post and starts all over again. And I'm like, you need to stop this. Yeah. And, she, and then she's, I said, this is, 
you can't be deleting posts that you're uncomfortable with. Mm -hmm. If someone's calling you out on social media, that's a space for you to acknowledge that you made a mistake, ask what you, what you did wrong. And it's uncomfortable to do it publicly. Yeah. Maybe you'd like to do it behind closed doors where all your students don't have to watch you go through this process, but that in and of itself is a teaching. So, so what I, what I said to, what I said to her next was you need, I gave her a bunch of books to read and was like, you don't, you don't, don't back down, never delete a post like this again. And then she said, but I didn't ask for this. And then I said, no, yes, you did. Yeah. Because um, she'd actually posted the black square on Blackout Tuesday. Mm. And I went to her Instagram and I said, you posted that black, that the black square, you, you stepped into the dialogue. So now if you think that, if you think that posting the black square and a few pictures of black people here and there on your Instagram account is, is doing the work of, 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 of unpacking your racial biases and being strongly anti-racist in the world. And it's not enough. Like this was, this was performative. This isn't, this isn't enough. You can't just post the square and then a few pictures of black people. And then, okay, now we're all peace, love and happiness. No. Listen, listen, I have a close friend who owns a studio here in Houston who wanted to act. And this is the thing, like, it's very challenging because there is like, I don't know, is this right? Is this wrong? And, and that's why I said it's being okay with getting it wrong and then having that, you know, uncomfortable conversation. And that's the reason why we're not progressing is because we've bypassed or skipped over these difficult conversations. Mm -hmm. Um, But in regards to being performative, um, my friend posted, she, she asked for two teachers or not asked. It was brought to her through someone in her community of two teachers or teachers to, to black teachers to talk to her community. Well, the problem with that is that it does read performative when you have no black teachers at your studio. Um, it does read performative when the, the, um, the teachers that you've chosen that you're allowing to represent the black experience are performative teachers themselves. Right. And like they're, they, they were the type of teachers that could go into her community and make Mm -hmm. the people feel comfortable and make the people feel safe. When on the other side, she a hundred percent had a friend who has a nonprofit that is for people of color that she supports because she supports me. And instead of using the resources that she already had in a panic, in a frenzy or whatever, um, chose to go outside of community. And so the performative stuff will never work. It's tokenism on the black side. We, it is a hundred percent. You're the token black. We got it. Okay, great. That's not changing things. That person's experience is not representative of the whole black experience. So unless you have a series of people that are going to come in and talk to your community, inviting or posting one black person every now and then is not going to work. And then when you have companies, larger companies who are predominantly white in the yoga industry, and then all of a sudden now is posting their black models, it's like, didn't you already have these models and why weren't Mm -hmm. they sprinkled in before now? Right. Mm -hmm. And so my, my whole thing when people do that kind of stuff is I see you. I know where to categorize you. I know what you are, what you are open to and what you are comfortable with because that's what you're showing me right now. But the reality is, is there's so much work behind that has to happen on the inside of your company, of your organization before you can be outward with it. So whether you're reading, doing, um, um, don't, my thing is like, don't tell me that your community is doing a book club. Is your staff doing the book club? 
is your leadership doing the book club? Because those are the people that, that call the shots, not necessarily the people in your community. So do the work from the inside out is where I'm at with it. Forget the performative stuff and like actually hold your team and yourself accountable to, to sit with the difficult conversations day in and day out because this is not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. And if you're a yogi, like you should already be down for the cause. Like, <laughs> you know, the struggle every day you get on your mat, right? It's not absolutely. the same. Yeah. So oh, ab- absolutely. I, I, I think there's, there's so much there, you know, there are a lot of non-black people, particularly white people that will answer the question, you know, I'm not racist. I have a black friend, you know, I'm not racist. I dated a black girl when I was in high school. And then that's like the proof. And is that, is that another form of tokenism? And what, like, what's, what's the, what's the issue with that? Yeah, that, that, that is tokenism. And the issue with that is, as I've said multiple times here, one black person cannot show you or cannot represent the entire black experience because there is a particular black woman right now circulating that she is a black woman, right? In tone but is very much um, not for black people. And so if I'm like, oh, but that's my friend, then I think, you know, I'm doing great because I'm supporting this black person, but it's only because you agree with her, her sentiments, but her sentiments are not representative, representative of black people as a whole. So you can't do that. You've got to have multiple black friends. You've got to interact with black people on a regular basis because if you don't, then you end up being the white woman who grabs her purse as a black man crosses the street. You end up being the white woman who, you know, clings to um, her mate as a black man approaches her, right? Mm -hmm. Because you have, you're not conditioned or you have not um, experienced what it's like to be around black people. So then you fear them. Mm -hmm. And so you have, it's like, you have to do the work, even if they're not even in your tap. That was another thing that came up in um, the studio ownership thing was um, tax brackets and your income level. And, and one of the studio owners has a boutique studio, however, and it's fancy, it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. Um, And at the same time, the owner of one of the largest food chain or not, largest food chains, but one of the successful food chains in Houston, and she owns a uh, financial services company, lives around the corner from the studio, and she loves Mm -hmm. Pilates, Mm -hmm. but she doesn't attend there, right? Mm -hmm. And so to assume that because of your income level um, that you can't have friends of color is silly. It's ignorant. It's also racist. I think, you know, that, that perpetuates the idea that you know, there aren't wealthy black people that, you know, all black people are poor. It's like, oh, right. well, you know, I don't have any black friends because I'm a millionaire, you know, and there's like, no, there are black millionaires too, mm-hmm. you know? So then, then you don't, and, you know, we don't really want to like say replace racism with classism either, because then that's another form of discrimination. And if we talk about, you know, the intersections of different experiences of people of color, then that's one of the intersections. It's, well, you know, you may have a class privilege, but some people don't have that class privilege and that may open some opportunities, but not, you know, not to the same degree as if you were, if you were white or if you were, you know, even a, a, a different intersection that, that we might sit at. And sometimes I feel that, 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 that it's easy for people of privilege to just feel overwhelmed, to just mm-hmm. feel like, why do I have to think about all of this? 
can we all just get along? Like, mm-hmm. really? You know, and, and it's like, no, that's what your privilege is for. You know, if you're put in a position of power, if you have that power, how, you'll be judged on how you wield it. Mm-hmm. You know, did you use it to lift anyone up or did you use it just to, you know, build your ivory castle a little bit stronger? Mm-hmm. And as yoga, you know, in the yoga world, these are conversations I think that are really important to have. Another example is a white yoga teacher, male yoga teacher, a friend of mine who, who sent me a message, uh, you know, in the wake of the, the horrible experience of, you know, George Floyd's murder, um, wrote to me and said, what do I do? I don't, I don't know. I have no idea of what to do. I saw this video and I don't know. I don't, I don't follow a single black person on social media. I don't know any, I don't, I think I know one black person. What do I do? And what if you're that person out there? Like there's suddenly something just got clicked on and they sit there and they're like, okay, I realize something's wrong. So they're already in the, I'm ready for the correction. I know something's wrong, but I no idea what to do. Yeah. And honestly, I'm not going to pretend like I know what to tell someone to do in that type of situation. Um, as a believer, my mind is like, like at church, you know, <laughs> like, I hope that there are not just white people at your church, but it's like <laughs> the common spaces that people interact in, whether it is being, having, in, engaging in conversation at the grocery store and engaging in conversation, you know, in different, in, in the, in other stores, it's like baby steps, because at the same time, like, I don't need you to go march down to, <laughs> here's the other thing. It's like, you know, enrolling in the next um, dismantling of racism workshop, right? Like Mm -hmm. going from zero to a hundred is like, (laughs) like it it is going to feel overwhelming and it is literally acknowledging and then taking the baby steps um, to, to voice, uh, not voice, but um, to dialogue with people. um, Mm -hmm. And then just kind of working your way into spaces where you're uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. and having difficult conversations. Um, I mean, it's also America. I'm, I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, that's a choice to not have any people, like any people of color in your sphere, like in your mm-hmm. community or in your circles. And so it's like, get out of your comfort zone and go, mm-hmm. go interact with people. Cause you're living in a bubble, a <laughs> white privilege bubble. <laughs> If you don't have, it's 2020 and you don't have any black friends, right? Mm -hmm. If you don't even know, you don't follow anyone black on social media. You know, if everyone you follow is just, you know, looks exactly like you and it's just an echo chamber for you and your beliefs, then, you know, you're going to get more and more entrenched in beliefs. Uh, There's actually a study particularly about that. I, um, unfortunately, I think we're now living the reality of the study was done like 10 years ago where they took a bunch of, they took people and they divided them out into these two groups. And so one group, they were uh, forced to co-mingle ideas Mm-hmm. So you had people that were on the really far right of the spectrum, people that were really far left of the spectrum, you know, like, you know, anarchists, no government, and then lots of government, socialists, Marxists, and, you know, people with different political views, progressive and super conservative, and they stuck them all together and they made them like talk to each other mm-hmm. for like a week. Every day this was part of the study. And at the end of the week, everybody came out a little bit more towards the middle. Mm-hmm. Everyone was kind of, because they met this person, they talked to this person and they were like, oh, that's what you think. So then they all got, everybody came a little bit more to the middle, no matter where they came from the spectrum. The other group of people, they took all the conservative people and they stuck them together. Mm-hmm. And then they took all the liberal people and they stuck them together. And then what they found is after the same week, 
all those people who were in their echo chambers, they got more and more entrenched and more and more polarized in their views and more and more extreme mm-hmm. to the extent that, that they became, you know, violent towards anything that was divergent from that little box. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of feel like that's where we are right now, you know, culturally that, that, you know, and that we have these boxes and it's like, if, if, if something doesn't fit in, it fit in our little box, then we're, we're in violent opposition against it. Yeah. I love Brene Brown and um, her book, Braving the Wilderness. My favorite people like it in it. Davina, if you say it one more time, but I love people are hard to hate. Close up, move in, move in, get close yeah. up with the person. Because if we, as, as the study showed, <coughs> if we just isolate ourselves, then we will move more towards an opposition of actually coexisting together. So I'm like, do the work, let it be uncomfortable. When did we get to a place where we were like, and maybe it's always been this way. Um, mm-hmm. And I can only speak for myself and how my mother raised me. Um, but I was encouraged to have um, difficult conversations at a very early age. I was, I was em- empowered to um, speak my truth and then deal with the consequences of doing that because sometimes I didn't get it right. And I did have to go back and apologize. And I did have to, um, you know, redirect the way that I approach the situation. But that's also how I learned how to be a human being. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Like that's mm-hmm. the way that I learn how to coexist with so many different types of people is because I put in the effort and the work to, um, to navigate what my own truth was. And that's, that I think is really important is, is doing the work for yourself first, um, so that you're not being performative or you're not being lost in a world where, in a society where, um, because of social media, Oftentimes, we are asked not to be ourselves. We're asked to be an, a version of ourselves, mm-hmm. like on a good day from this angle and this angle, right? It's With the like, filter. With the right. filter. The filter. And so we, we've conditioned people to, to do that. And I think it's so time to peel back the filter and just like have the difficult conversations, be wrong get it, learn to get it wrong multiple times and then learn to figure out, okay, that didn't work this way. That didn't work this way. Like, it's so interesting to me how people choose to walk away from um, either difficult conversations or people who don't agree with them. My Mm -hmm. mind, like, I am not built like that. I am like, you don't agree with me? Let's talk about it. (laughs) It's just where it is because I know who I am. I've done the work to know who I am. And I'm not, I have not bought into societal norms around what I should look like, what I should sound like, um, all of those things because of the work. And I think um, we've got we've got to sit with ourselves and do the personal work so that we can then go out and have conversations with other people. Absolutely. And I think that the work you're referring to is not only, you know, deconstructing or dismantling racism, but I really like what you said about the work of knowing who you are. So to have a strong root of self-confidence, to have a strong root of self-esteem that's not dependent on approval or likes on social media, to be able to really sit with, to sit with your own truth. This is so important, you know, because 
one of one of the things that I that I see happens a lot on social media is that somebody equipped with kind of a superficial knowledge of what you should or shouldn't say now gets into putting people on blast and putting people on participating in this huge swing of cancel culture, which is like you said the wrong thing. I'm, I have to unfollow you right now, or you know that like that was unconscious and it's not. It, there's no room for hey, you made a mistake. I want to facilitate learning. It's just sort of like that was wrong. Cancel. That was wrong. Cancel. I have to cancel you. Cancel you. Cancel. And it's like wait a minute what are we, first of all, A, have you done your own work to figure out who you are? And B, is, is that like, sure, I guess if everybody cancels this person, they're going to sit there and grow, but was your intention to truly educate this person and spark dialogue? Or did you just want to basically perform on social media that you now had the lingo and could call someone else out? (laughs) The, the same, there, the, the, the white yogi male that I was, was, talking to or interacting with the way that our conversation started on social media is I was on my Facebook page and I said, in my mind, I said, who are my friends list would say some shit like this. <laughs> like I had to pause and be like, who, who is this? So then I went to his picture and I was like, oh, he's driven. And so then I said it. So then I typed that. I said, I literally typed what I thought, which is who on my friends list would, you know, and um, he was like, you said what I said was shit. And like went through this whole thing. And I said, listen, that's how we kind of went downhill around. Um, I'm not going to unfriend you. He was like, all my other black friends have unfriended me by now. And I'm like, that's cool. I'm not unfriending you. I'm not going to unfriend you. What I am going to do is I will dialogue with you. I'll hold space for you and saying the stupid things that you're saying right now and the ignorant, because some of them are ignorant um, mm-hmm. things that you're saying. and." I will recruit allies to help you out because you are not in a place to hear me. So we, mm-hmm. we got to the point where he was not willing to hear me and then had friends who are in the yoga community jump into the conversation from a safe space, not even a attack, like attacking him or anything like that. Um, and it, what was so funny is it took one of his friends to be like, bro, what are you doing? <laughs> like, what? And then his friend was like, are you deleting posts? Like, what's happening right now? Why are you acting like this? And it literally took someone close to him um, to, to see his behavior and then help him shift um, at least an inch, right? He maybe didn't come around full swing. Um, but for sure, sometimes people sit behind a computer screen and say the darndest things. And you're like, mm-hmm. where did you, like, where did you get that from? And then you, and my thing with social media is, is why do you need to announce that you're unfollowing me. <laughs> yeah, like, I get that. I, I get care. that too. Unfollow. Okay. Like, great. We all saw that you're unfollowing, but we have no idea who you are. So and, why does that even matter? And then the people who unfollow because they didn't like something you said, you know, if it left a mark in them that they're going to come back and check on your page mm-hmm. anyway. And yeah, then you're I've, I've, I've seen people that have left the unfollow on my page, you know, I, I leave a comment two months later and, you know, and it's the snarky comment, like, oh, you're still doing the same thing. I'm like, yeah, this is me. I'm still doing the same thing, yeah. you know? Um, so can we go back to the process that you walked through with this, um, you know, white follower, this, uh, you know, epitome of privilege, right? It's like a white male privilege and no offense to any white dudes out there. I'm married to a white dude from Denmark, you know, like it's not a white male hating conversation, but what I, what I, what I want to draw people's attention to is 
the emotional labor that you put in to be present through that. And so that's something that I think needs to be validated. And when you, as a woman of color, take on conversating with a white male in a position of power and position of privilege, then you're putting in emotional labor. And maybe he is too on some level, but it's really, it's really, you've taken that on and I feel it's courageous and heroic. And I think it needs to be recognized, you know, that every time you go into it, you're, you're risking, you're risking more than, than he is. And you're mm-hmm. stepping into the ring of fire. Yeah. And, and this, this is something that you can't expect of everyone, but when, when it is seen, I think it needs to be validated and it needs to be honored. And, and I hope that people take it as inspiration to put in their own emotional labor. Mm-hmm. And what I realized, this happened over a span of maybe three days. And what I realized was like, there were moments where I was like, I don't have time to do it. I don't have time to like talk to you right now. Like I even, he, he, he um, direct messaged me and I was like, in my mind, I was like, I don't have time to talk to you right now. And so I just like set it to the side. And then when I was ready, came back to it. And, you know, he had also posted like 17 things after that text. So I was like, I don't have time to go back and read this and I'm not. So here's where I'm going to pick up that. Let's recap what we've agreed upon. Right. And what was funny is that there were, I understood where he was coming from. That's not the point. The point is that clearly his life, he did not, he did not have the greatest growing up or upbringing. Right. And was bullied and was beat up by black people and all these th- these things and, and financially wasn't in the place to, you know, it, it was all those things. Right. And what I was trying to tell him, because he was like, well, there are black kids who are better off. Right. Than how he was. And my thing was like, you're taking it to an individual level and racism is not individual. It's systemic. <laughs> so no matter how messed up your one experience is, right? That is that cannot be compared to the 400 years of oppression. And then he was like, what? It's 2020 and you're going to talk about slavery? I said, sir, you're missing it. I said, the, and what I ended it with is people like you are dangerous. When you think like, oh, black people could just like work harder and like work their way up. That's a fallacy and a lie because it's a systemic racism. It's a lie. And people like you are dangerous because you stunt the growth or the progression, progressive movement of where we're trying to go. So my thing is, in terms of the labor of having conversations like that is, I don't mind having them because then I know where you are, where you stand. I can see you and I can put you in this category and say, this is where this person is. Let me move to the next person. Is it a quick win? Like, can, mm-hmm. I, can I get them to understand quickly? Yes, great, keep going. And then when I have the time or, or whatever, maybe by the time I'm back ready to have a conversation with him, someone else has got to him before me. So what I do know about this, it is not about me and it's not about one person changing a whole system. So mm-hmm. for me, um, the practice of yoga has taught me to, and I, I mean, don't get, don't get on me. You know, because I know you know your Sanskrit and all your terminologies and whatnot, um, and and understanding of things. But when I think of brahmacharya and like the right use of energy, mm-hmm. that's not the right use of my energy. Like sitting mm-hmm. and going back and forth with him, like that. Like I got to the point where I was like, okay, no more. This is no longer a use, good use of my energy. I'm going to pivot and turn and move move away. And mm-hmm. beyond that, like 
if I get to a, pl- a place where I don't have access to peace, we are done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes sense. I've, I've, I also appreciate that because this makes it clear that, you know, you're willing to give, you're willing to put in the work, but the moment that it crosses a boundary for you, you're going to place your self-care above, you know, above, above anything else, which I feel every, it's a lesson everybody needs to learn, period. You know, I feel that's a lesson that everybody needs to learn. You know, this is something that many people engage in conversations past their boundaries and end up, you know, in a, in an endless cycle. So this is again, going back to, you got to know yourself. And if you can register that, then yes, you can be brave enough to go into these, these difficult conversations. And then when it's crossing a line for you, set the boundary, remove yourself, you know, mm-hmm. and this is a, this is difficult. It's a difficult space, but I think that in order for us, the country, the United States of America and the world to reach a critical mass, it's these the difficult spaces of going in and engaging with someone who has a divergent viewpoint. You don't, you never know that you could plant a seed that they don't, that they, you know, that they don't really nurture right then, but it's something sticks in their mind. And then a year later, it's a little softer, the next generation, it's a little softer. So I, 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 I feel that what's happening now is definitely pushing us. The conversations that are happening are definitely pushing us as a, as a culture in the right direction. But how do you feel? Do you feel hopeful that there's a shift in critical mass? Do you feel that there's something changing? Do you feel there's something different about this moment than in, say, previous moments of awareness? Well, this is my first experience of what is happening on a grand scale like this. And so for me, 100%, it feels we're taking baby steps in the in the right direction. I think mm-hmm. what um, me and my friends talk about right now is why people are in a place of throwing money at Black people and trying to make it better. Who have the money? Who have the capital? They're, they're throwing money to make it better, right? Um, and our work as Black people is to ensure that we are educated and able to sustain keeping that money in our community because white people also know that it will literally come right back to them because people are conditioned because they think that they need the the Nikes or they need the, you know, the show and tell of things. And so, mm-hmm. or whatever, I'm not going to go on brands and things like that. But um, if we don't create places and spaces for um, black businesses to expand and to be sustained with this money that is coming in, we could end up back at square one. And so perpetuating the cycle. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm hopeful that we're moving. I feel like we're moving in the right direction. And right now my attention and awareness is going to a space of educating and educating people of color for sure. um, Which is why I have melanin yoga project. Is mm-hmm. to educate people of color on the benefits of yoga, and so that we don't have to go into unsafe spaces. Like you don't, ha- and you don't have to miss out on the practice of yoga because the spaces around you are unsafe. You mm-hmm. can pivot and find and and be in a space of people of color that's safe and it's educate. It's an educational space. It's not watered down yoga. Um, it's just the same yoga that everybody else is getting. And I think. Yeah, so I'm I'm in a space of educating, and I'm hopeful. And the people that are in my intimate circle and community, we're all aligned. That it's so important. And I come from an educational background, so I have my master's in doctoral leadership. So 
I told my friend the other day that it's like, this is my time. Like, this is what I was built for. This is the time that I was made to be in because I ain't never scared. Like, I'm not the one to back down. And like, if we need people to stand right now, I'm happy to be that person to stand, which goes back to that conversation with the white male. And it's like, I have no ought with him. He was like, Mm -hmm. you're angry. You're aggressive. No, I'm not. I'm not. (laughs) So I can have these impassioned conversations and not take that in and be negative and feel some type of way about myself. I've been that way my whole life. So mm-hmm. right now feels like the right time um, for me to step up and lead. And so that's what I'm doing. That's awesome. I love that so much. Would you tell, would you share with everyone the, what the Melanin Yoga Project is and when you founded it and, and, and perhaps also what the importance is of say, you know, supporting black businesses, supporting black teachers, creating, you know, a space where there, there are only teachers of color and, and, and really supporting that. Yeah. So I am a big personal growth work person and I went through a year of like connecting in yoga studios that were outside of my home studio. And I realized that there were not a lot of black people in yoga studios in Houston. And so then my next year, the, fa- the, the theme that I went from was connect with more people of color. And so Melanin Yoga Project was founded based on this idea that I want to, I personally want to connect, but I also want to connect them with each other um, because we can do this. Like we, we as, a, as a black woman who does lead teacher trainings, 200 hour and 300 hour, and I've done it for white communities and white companies for years, I know I'm validated if that was a case, although that's not where my validation comes from. Um, I have built a name for myself to be able to bring this to um, black and brown communities. So Melanin Yoga Project was founded on this idea of educating people of color on the benefits of yoga in a safe space. So we go into schools, we go into community centers, and we create a space, um, a safe space for people to explore this practice and ask the questions around Christianity, Christianity, and is this a religion? Is this a cult? Like we we create that space versus like being offended because someone said it was a cult or like you know. And so, <clears throat> Melanin Yoga Project does that. We bring people of color together, and I just happen to be social and know other yoga teachers, black yoga teachers around the world and um, brown yoga teachers around the world that we've just poured into this community, whether we've done virtual summits and and expos, we've also do in person. Um, And what I do have to acknowledge and say is that Melanin Yoga Project is for anyone who is non-white. So we exist for African-Americans, Asians, Indian students, Hispanic students, Latinos, whatever you want to call it. Like we have the space for that. And that's one of the things I love about our social media. Like my team hates the way it's set up right now and we'll work that out. But (laughs) I love that when you go onto that page, you'll see big, small, old, young, um, Hispanic, African-American, Asian, like you see it all. And to Mm -hmm. me, that's the yoga is for everybody. Like that's, that's what, where I'm most excited is like seeing, um, the people who are practicing yoga, that's not whitewashed in, mm-hmm. n- there's not a token black person. Like it's just not that. And so with Melanin Yoga Project, um, we have served 
communities, uh, community centers, women's shelters, um, schools in low poverty areas. That's basically who we target um, to really give them access to these tools that white people have had forever Mm -hmm. (laughs) or, you know, for For a longer period period of time. Yeah. And so now this is an alternative to the suffering right? And an alternative to medicine, because we know that within the black and brown communities that there's sometimes a struggle around going to the doctor and taking care of yourself. And this is just another way or another avenue to help people truly take care of themselves. Um, and I love that about the practice. So that's, that's what Melanin Yoga Project does. And we're just at the beginning. <laughs> we're just yeah. at the beginning. So everyone who's listening to the podcast, please go follow Melanin Yoga Project and it's just Melanin Yoga Project straight on Instagram. Mm-hmm. So follow, listen, you know, observe, interact and, and, and welcome the message in. So that's, that's, I think, a really clear actionable step that everybody can do that doesn't uh, cost anything and uh, can expand the consciousness just a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So, Davina, this has been really, really awesome. And I hope educational for everybody who's listening and inspirational too and give people the courage to make mistakes and learn from their mistakes and hopefully open a new door in the minds and hearts of, you know, yoga students, yoga teachers, yoga studio owners, the yoga community. And because we affect people, you know, if uh, you change your individual culture, that can change how you interact with people in your family. You can potentially change the culture of, of your family, which can then ricochet outward and, you know, slowly, slowly, a small ripple effect can, can really make a big difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Thank you so much for having me. I'm so grateful and just appreciative to get to spend time with you because I love you. <laughs> <laughs> well, the feeling mutual, but thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you. Hey there, it's Kino here. I just wanted to thank you for tuning in to my podcast. Your support and your time and your attention really mean a lot to me. If you're enjoying this podcast series, you can find the full-length videos on my online channel, OMSTARS. And that's at www.omstars.com. You can redeem a 14-day free trial and get access to our full library of over 3,000 classes and also practice yoga with me online. I'd also love to see you in class sometime. So you can find my full live in-person teaching schedule on my website, which is kinoyoga.com. And if you haven't checked out my books, I'd absolutely be honored if you'd check those out. You can find those available at any online bookseller. The Yoga Inspiration Podcast is designed to keep you inspired to get on the mat. And I hope you're leaving each episode with a little glimmer and spark of the spirit, which is the true heart of the yoga method. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. May you be happy. May you be peaceful. May you be filled with love. Namaste.